0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info.
1: We start another brand new week here on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Niggett. Thank you all for being uh, with us. By the way, very quickly, um, we went through two weeks of our fall pledge drive, and I'm so grateful to all of you who either continued your support during that pledge drive, or became supporters of Political Rewind and all the programming we do here on GPB Radio. Uh, Jesse Neiswanger, uh, Sam Burma-Staws, our temporary producers, Sarah Callis, and I are all very grateful to you because it's your contributions that uh, fuel our. Program. We won't be back with another pledge drive until the spring, and we begin a full week of full programs with a great panel today. It is the first Monday in uh, uh, October, and there's some interesting history behind the fact that the Supreme Court starts its term today. Um, Prior to 1917, um, the court didn't have uh, one official start date. They had two different dates. They had two separate sessions, but in 1917, Congress passed a law designating the first Monday in October as the date the court would begin its session. Up until about 1964, that first day was largely ceremonial. The justices would visit the White House, visit with the president. But since uh, 1964, they have heard arguments on the first day, as they will today, and um, Each term is known by its Chief Justice. So this is the Roberts Court, and it's the 17th version of the court. Uh, John Roberts took the oath of office as Chief Justice back in 2005, entering his 15th year. And um, let me introduce the panel and then set the stage for our conversation about the cases that are gonna have a big impact on Georgia potentially. It's Monday, which means Jim Galloway is here. Uh, Jim, Jim, of course, the former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hey, Jim, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. You know, I think we ought to start calling this National Lawyers Appreciation Day. You know, if, 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 you, if, you, if you know one, if, if you know one, give him or her a hug.
1: Well, Jim. Remarkable that you would say that, since I'm about to introduce two attorneys who are panelists today. One of them, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, the Democrat who represents Decatur. Uh, how are you, Mary Margaret?
0: I'm great. Good Good morning to all of you.
1: Would you, would you uh, like the uh, notion of a, a National Lawyer's Day and get a big hug from Galloway?
0: I think I would rather just my clients pay their bills when they're sent out. I think that might do it. <laughs> Have to, uh, Edward, Lindsay,
1: okay, Edward Lindsay is with us today as well. He, of course, former state representative, representative of the city of Atlanta, and uh, now is a partner at Denton's, oversees their Georgia government affairs practice. Denton's, of course, Edward, the world's biggest law firm. Thank you for being here today, Edward.
3: Thank you for having me. I echo Mary Margaret's sentiments. Uh, hug me. i not hear
1: Whatever, but just pay money. Okay. <laughs> and Renee Alegria is back with us, the CEO of Mundo Hispanico uh, Digital. We're always glad when you can be here. Thanks for joining us, Renee.
4: Thanks for having me. And as, as one of the few in my family that escaped the trappings of law school, I say there's no need for uh, a lawyer appreciation day.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, we're going to talk uh, initially today about. A couple of the cases the court is hearing that could have major impacts um, here in Georgia. Let me read to you the lead of the 538 story on their summary of what the court was going to be hearing. Uh, the Supreme Court is more conservative than it's been in almost a century. Its new term begins today, and by next June, when the term ends, Americans might finally understand what that means. Public opinion of the court is already at a record low after the court allowed a strict abortion law to go into effect in Texas in early September. Now the justices are preparing to hear the court's first major gun rights case since 2010, as well as a case on the future of abortion in the United States. Both cases could, could result in decisions that are far more extreme than most Americans want. That's what 538 says. Uh, Jim Galloway... Um, most people are watching very closely, um, although the case isn't going to be taken uh, up until December 1st, the Mississippi abortion law. And just very briefly, Mississippi uh, passed a law which bans abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy. Um, but they did it for a very specific reason. They want the court to simply rule that Roe v. Wade and Casey v. Planned Parenthood were unconstitutional uh, and and therefore overturn those laws, Jim.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, and and uh, as as we've we've said on this program before, we've noted that the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, which includes uh, Georgia, has has delayed. Uh, delayed acting on uh, HB four eighty one, which is Georgia's uh, restrictive abortion law, uh, while while the the Supreme Court uh, takes this one up, the hearing is in December, which means we probably won't see a result until uh, until uh, you know maybe uh, May or or June. Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting, Bill. You, I mean, you mentioned that. I mean, this is this is this is the most uh, conservative court that we've seen in 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 decades. And and that that the that the partisanship within within uh, the Supreme Court is, is becoming a a topic uh, a topic of conversation. You know this because all of uh, you you've had this this unusual spate of Supreme Court justices uh, going public and saying, "Oh no." It's not we, we are we are maintaining our public philosophy uh, I mean our, 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 we are being guided by philosophy by yeah. legal philosophy and 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 not the uh, not the uh, uh, not public opinion uh, which you know I, I I think they think that's true I'm not sure that it is we'll let the, we'll, we'll let the lawyers debate that one. Um, Actually,
1: Amy Coney Barrett was one of the number of the
2: justices who've (laughs)
1: spoken out, and she had the most memorable quote, we're not partisan hacks, is what she said in a speech that she gave uh, on the subject. Um, All right, so Mary Margaret, uh, Jim points out that the Mississippi case is in fact going to be the precursor for what happens in Georgia with our even more restrictive law, the so-called heartbeat uh, law, which has now been ruled unconstitutional by a lower federal court, and now the 11th Circuit, the panel of justice, judges from the 11th Circuit have said, we're not doing anything till we hear what the Supreme Court says about Mississippi.
0: The partisan activities to set a, the correct case, the most valuable case up for opportunity to uh, reverse Roe v. Wade is, is obviously part of the discussion going on. We know that um, we've known for some time that 481 would not jump ahead of the Mississippi case and the procedural complexity and distress over that Texas case has diverted attention. Um, What is true that's interesting to me and has very significant impact is that when Chief Justice Roberts is not in the majority then the justice with the most seniority who is in the majority has the right to decide who writes the opinion. And if the current dynamic of Clarence Thomas being the most senior in the majority uh, continues through these abortion cases, then Justice Thomas, Clarence Thomas, will be deciding who writes the opinion. A year ago, I had said that I did not think that the roe v way would be overturned it would be weakened but not overturned um i really today can't say that with any confidence i think the
1: supreme court Ed,
0: could be marching towards overturning roe v way
1: edward you want to jump in
3: well a, a couple of points uh, one is what is the definition of i can't two. hear Sorry.
1: it. i can't hear you.
3: um you know the fact of the matter is conservatism traditionally, when it came to the, the legal side of the judicial uh, side of the question, uh, meant that you looked at the literal interpretation of the law as written, and you uh, and you stayed with precedent, and you took uh, took great uh, care not to deviate too far from precedent. I still think that that is largely what the justices, particularly the more uh, conservative mm-hmm. justices, try to follow. Uh, I still believe that that we are likely to see a, a tweaking, or uh, as Mary Margaret yes, said,
1: yes.
3: Of, of some of the barriers of Roe v. Wade, but likely we'll um, still see some aspect of it upheld. So
1: um, Ed, Edward, we're going to try to clean up your sound a bit. We're having a little bit of trouble hearing you, unfortunately. Your signal's kind of weak, so we'll come back to you in uh, just a minute. I, I, and I apologize that so we have to... Uh, uh, do that at this point, because we want to make sure you're part of the conversation. Renee, it's interesting. According to the polling I've seen, and you may have uh, better information than I do, um, in in the Hispanic community, uh, there's been a generational shift on abortion, whereas uh, earlier generations of Hispanics in this country have been largely opposed to abortion. um, Their children, their grandchildren, in fact, tend to uh, be what a small majority of Americans are, which is pro-choice, yes? Yeah, that's exactly right. The the acculturation curve
4: in Hispanic families usually dictates that the first-generation immigrant uh, is more conservative conservative on abortion rights, and their children, which are more acculturated, uh, educated, etc., certainly skew more to the left. Um, I do do find that it's just... Fascinating what's happening with the Supreme Court, in that you know here we have the drama of the you know opening day Supreme Court juxtaposed with what's happening in Congress with Biden and you know the the spending bill, um, and and I, I I do think that all of this just adds to the anxiety that we're all feeling of just what is going on. You know, um, I I do think uh, that. Roe v. Wade is in super danger now, um, and I, I, you know, it, it's it's almost like the way the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg geniusly created a web of legal precedent in the 70s to, you know, into groundbreaking federal laws protecting women in the workplace and at home. The GOP has systematically done the same thing in creating such legal precedents. Uh, to dismantle protections for women's reproductive health. And we're seeing them finally get up to bat Uh, with a diminished power of Roberts uh, leading the court. It's, it's, you know, I mean, I think think you're going to see groups like the ACLU, et cetera, now um, really panicking.
2: You know, uh, Bill. Uh, yeah, the uh, the anxiety is is widespread and it's it's even on the Republican side. If you if you if you judge it by the silence that uh, that 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 has that that this this Texas law has received, uh, you don't you don't see elected Republicans jumping up and say a um, uh, most election Republicans jumping up and saying this is what I want Uh uh just the, the their hold on the on the on the on on uh uh suburban areas like Metro Atlanta is just too shaky right now. Uh, yet yes, you do have you have uh, uh people like Senate President Pro Tem Butch Miller of Gainesville. He's in a tough race with Bert Senator uh, State Senator Bird Jones of, of 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 Jackson County for Lieutenant Governor. Uh, Miller has 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 jumped up and and said he he would like to enact portions. Of the Texas law, uh, now the question is: You know, does that include the uh, the, the 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 provision that uh, allows uh, citizens to uh, to act as vigilantes uh, against anybody who assists uh, an abortion after six weeks? Edward, we I think we got you back.
3: <laughs> All right, not sure what you heard earlier, but basically the point that I was trying to make was: the question is, what is going to be the definition of a conservative? Uh, When it comes to the court from a a legal or judicial uh, philosophy that 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 historically has met uh, adherence to the literal uh, interpretation of the law is written or the Constitution is written and uh, and a uh, recognition and a respect for precedent. Justice Roberts has filled that role for a number of years uh, in terms of that definition of conservative. And the question is what will prevail? in the Mississippi decision as well as some of the other cases that are coming down. My suspicion is still that we are likely to see a tweaking or as Mary Margaret says perhaps a a weakening of some of the the parameters of Roe v. Wade but that that precedent will still stand in some form. Um,
1: So what do we make of this Renee as an election issue? Uh, Galloway points out that there are Republicans who are being very cautious in saying anything at all about the Texas law, even while Butch Miller uh, proposes that he's going to introduce a version of the Texas law in the legislature uh, next session. I, I mean, and, and Jim points out that suburban women who we kind of consider to be swing voters to some extent right now aren't going to be having I mean, this. This becomes a real challenge, it seems to me, for Republicans.
4: Uh, it, it really does. I, I, listen, college educated suburban women are overwhelmingly pro choice. This is going to do a lot of damage if Roe v. Wade is overturned to the GOP's chances to getting elected going forward. Uh, there is two generations now that have just taken for granted that they can go to a clinic and have, you know, get informed about reproductive health. When this is taken away, I think you're going to see uh, a very engaged millennial generation Z uh, women electorate go forth and really make themselves heard. I also think that, look, this the overturning of Roe v. Wade overwhelmingly hurts uh, women of color Hispanic, African American, Asian. And 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 low income, Um, you're going to see those folks really rise up, and 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 this is a galvanizing tentpole that you're going to. uh, That I I do think the GOP should be scared. They've started this roll down the down a hill that they just won't be able to ever ever get back, and they're going to lose an entire generation of women voters as a result.
1: So let me get Edward and Mary uh, Margaret in here before we move on.
3: Well, you know, for both political parties, it, it offers some degree of peril. Um, the, let, me, let me sort of draw this analogy, the way the polarization of the two parties has become, even in Georgia. We have primaries for Republicans that look a lot more like Mississippi. Uh, and we have primaries for Democrats in Georgia looking very much like New York. But we have general elections that look very much like the Midwest, in other words, somewhat moderate. I would say that either party, when they go too far on this issue, uh, to the far right or to the far left, faces a particular problem when it comes to November. And so both parties have got to be careful to sort of tack back to the center uh, in the long run in order if they wish to remain in power or get power.
0: There's no doubt that uh, restrictions on abortion impact low income. And women of color but the awareness of what the texas law has done is really uh, going to become more of an awareness for the suburban college educated woman in my long political career the science on reproduction has changed significantly <laughs> the awareness that uh, couples have now about decisions of health of fetuses uh, non viable babies the tragedies that many families suffer based on losing a baby, all of that is much more in people's minds now. The decisions of the Republicans to use abortion for a base vote is, is highly going to be highly offensive to the family that's suffering from a baby that's not viable. And somehow the government is going to tell them what to do. The tragedies of these cases are going to be known to many, many, many more families than were known 30 years ago. Republicans choosing to offend those families in those tragic situations uh, may be more significant than, in their perspective than cutting off health care to low-income or to women of color.
1: All right. Well, we're going to watch this case unfold um, and uh, obviously talk about it again. We don't expect to hear a decision on this case until um, early summer of next year, perhaps June of next year. Uh, but in the meantime, it will be a an issue in uh, the election cycle of 2022. Um, Jim, let's talk briefly about the uh, other one of the other. Uh, cases that's expected to get an awful lot of attention. And that's a a case, uh, a New New York uh, gun case. Uh, New York has got a law which says that if you want to carry a concealed weapon, you have to have, you have to be able to present a reason why you must carry that weapon. Uh, It's been challenged, of course, in court and, and, and in the lower courts, and now the Supreme Court will weigh in on it. And, and again, the impact here in Georgia could be that the Supreme Court will, could loosen even further gun regulations and make it possible for people essentially to carry a concealed weapon uh, at any place. And this, by the way, in New York, it's about carrying weapon outside of your home, not inside of your home. So it has an impact in terms of where you can carry a concealed weapon in states around the country. Jim?
2: Right, right. The Heller case. In the Heller case, uh, the Supreme Court uh, identified uh, the, the the right to bear arms as an individual right, which had been uh, in, in, uh, challenged by by Second Amendment enthusiasts for an, a number of years. Uh, this is this is as this is this is kind of a measure will be a measure of of of. Uh, whether you have a car- uh, right to carry that weapon on your person uh when you enter uh public spaces now in Georgia that's uh we've kind of answered that question uh and and at stake are going to be just a, a number of uh of of fights over over the second amendment right to carry concealed in Georgia uh we we've we've loosened those ex- uh, in uh, to an extraordinary uh Uh, measure uh we are an open carry state you can carry a weapon openly uh we've you know we've we've seen we've seen we've seen a fellow carry an ar-15 into into the into the lobby of hartsfield jackson international airport uh and and walk out without being arrested now I, i i don't know uh uh you know, you will have you have many people of color who say that wouldn't have happened if he if if, if he'd been something other than white. But but we will see uh, it's, it's, it's but it's a case that it, that uh, even whether you whether you are, are pro Second Amendment or think there ought to be restrict restrictions, it's, this is the case that you're going to be watching uh, this year
3: well keep in mind that the that while the Heller decision did recognize that gun uh, that the Second Amendment did apply to individuals uh, and it it uh, justice Scalia uh, did recognize that the state had the right to put certain restrictions uh, on uh, on how those guns were to be used or what guns could be held by an individual Um the, the, the decision uh, for the court uh, on this will sort of break down into, into three basic categories. One is that they could uphold the restriction uh, in the permits in New York, which require that the owner show good cause. Uh, the second is that they could strike down the statute but recognize that permits uh, with background checks and possible training would be uh, still recognized and be Okay. And the third would be to strike it down uh, and basically allow uh, folks to carry a concealed weapon without any kind of permits. Uh, quite frankly, my, my best legal guess, and it, you know, it's, it's as good as what you want to think of it, is that once again, I think the court will probably take the second pass. Uh, I think New York is probably overly restrictive uh, and vague uh, in terms of what constitutes good cause. Uh, but the court is very unlikely to simply strike down a state's ability to put any kind of restrictions on people's ability to carry uh, guns uh, in a hidden fashion. They're more likely to say, yes, you can uh, y- y- yes, you can put restrictions, but those restrictions have got to be based on someone's criminal background and perhaps even whether or not someone has the, uh, has the necessary understanding on how to use a gun. But they're not going to. Allow restrictions just for uh, good cause.
0: I, I hope Ed's right. Uh, and a year ago, I might have also suggested that the court will take a middle ground under the leadership of Justice Roberts, who's very concerned about his legacy and the court not being labeled as a partisan, uh, far right wing knee jerk <laughs> reactive entity, which it is in danger in the minds of some of being. I think, though, this year I'm just much more apprehensive. Uh, when you have a 6-3 conservative majority and you have Clarence Thomas in charge of who writes opinions in certain cases where Justice Roberts has lost control of that very important decision, I become much more nervous. Uh, again, we're in a situation where uh, people, I, I don't mean us in-crowd people, I, I mean the apolitical people that go to publics and take their kids to the soccer field, those folks out there who are offended when they walk into their Publix or the CVS and somebody has a very large automatic weapon strapped to their hip. That is a visual, visual distress to folks. Uh, so I, I, will, I will walk out of my Publix. And well, again, it's the private property rights, the Publix owner's rights and the CVS owner's rights about whether or not you can carry a weapon on your hip into the car. I will walk out of, a, of any establishment where somebody is open carry because that means the private property owner supports that. Emory University, exactly, a private property owner uh, does not support open carry. So these, again, we are moving away from a, a moderate kind of midstream discussion to doing things that are very visually distressing to people. And again, the majority of people, the majority of people do support background checks, support all kinds of protections in this world where people are more afraid of crime and more afraid of guns.
4: I I do think that uh, just to piggyback on what the representative said, you know, this climate of fear that we have in with a national uh, sentiment of, of where, you know, uh, shootings are happening on a daily basis. You have angry individuals going in, you know, if they're armed, people, you know, visually freak out. And I think that that's something that we all have to keep in mind. I, I, I do think that, you know, obviously, when it comes to guns, it it's tied to, to violent crime, which is something thats that we're all talking about right now, and how that violent crime is uh, proportionally uh, affected, absurdly so, in communities of color. And when you have gun control laws that, uh, well, when you don't have gun control laws, let's just say that it makes living in areas like that uh, harder, harder. And it's more difficult to raise a family without the auspices of gun laws affecting violent crime, uh, you know, at home, next door, etc. I, I do find it fascinating, and this is tying into Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, there was, a, there was an older book called Freakonomics. I don't know if you, you recall it, but Freakonomics had this very interesting chapter about how Roe v. Wade fueled the violent crime plummeting in the 90s. Because there was a generation of women that suddenly had an option, right? We're going to see that in reverse. You overlay that with gun control laws that, you know, allow semi-automatic rifles into publics, um, and we're going to see a very scary future.
1: Um Rene Allegria we give you the last word in uh this segment. I've got to get uh to a break. Let me do that now. We come back with more lots of other political news to talk about on today's show. Um welcome back to Political Rewind. Jim Galloway, Edward Lindsay, Mary Margaret Oliver, Renee Allegria, all Uh, with us today. Very, very quickly, we're not going to have time to go into this because we got a lot to talk about, but Renee made an interesting comment at the end of the last segment that research finds that legalized abortion following Roe v. Wade accounted for something like a 45 percent decline in U.S. crime rates over the past three decades. There's been research that shows that, and I must say, as I looked very, very quickly to kind of fact check that, there are those who suggest that the crime rate was falling in any case. Nevertheless, that's a subject to unpack even further as we go forward and talk about what happens uh, with the case that the Supreme Court will hear on the Texas law. Um, All right, let's uh, move ahead to uh, an issue that has become uh, more important in the Atlanta mayor's race. Mary Margaret, um, polling suggests that um, affordable housing is second largest issue for voters who are going to cast ballots in the mayor's race to public safety, um, and so the mayoral candidates in Atlanta are addressing affordable housing. They each of them, not all of them, but most of them have uh, their own plan for how they think they can make a difference. But but I want to take this from a different point of view, which is th- the question becomes no matter what your intentions. Are we talking about an irreversible, intractable issue that development is going to occur, gentrification is going to occur, no matter what your best plans are?
0: In many of the difficult issues we face, I go first to looking at our economy. Atlanta's economy is doing extremely well, uh, which is one of the reasons Buckhead would be such a disaster, but let me not go there right now. Uh, We have a a visible success of the Beltline and visible successes in many different uh, well-off neighborhoods, primarily well-off neighborhoods. The explosion of of condominiums and new apartment complexes replacing old neighborhoods or old apartment complexes is, is, is resulting in a very strong economy around development low-income housing is part of the discussion that has to happen and this mayoral election is a good opportunity to have that discussion. And low-income housing along the MARTA line is something I've been following closely because of my MARTOC job. Low-income housing is not what we used to think of as uh, uh, welfare folks. It's folks that have relatively 80% or 60% or 50% of incomes, There are people who are working who are making uh, 80% of an $80,000 salary who are entitled to low-income housing. We, when we talk about low-income housing, whether it's Decatur or whether it's Atlanta, most often we're talking about policemen and teachers and government workers and folks that uh, would per, whose family quality of life will be improved if they don't have to drive an hour to work. Uh, up and down 575 to buy a house. It's a much uh, significantly economic trending discussion about working people and not working poor people, but working middle-class people. It's appropriate to have this discussion at this time, and our business community has to be a, a po- much more of a positive and engaged effort and not follow some of the bad and I'll use Fulton County Development Authority <laughs> issues in terms of uh, ignoring the important issue of low income housing.
1: So I get all that, but Renee, again, my question becomes I mean, is this a problem? In search, is there a solution to a problem? When you, Mary Margaret talks about the Belt Line, I mean the Belt Line um, in all sections of the Belt Line now are encouraging developers to build housing uh, that isn't going to be a, a, a affordable housing stock for uh, most people. And so, in some ways, I wonder if it's a an issue that's worthy of discussion. But that just doesn't have that. The economics of our day are not going to make it possible to do much about.
0: I'm much I more encouraged than you are, Bill. I'm much more uh, open to new ideas and new development partnerships and new strategies. And I think there are solutions. And I'm glad that the mayoral race is interested in them.
1: Okay. Renee. I,
4: I do think that uh, there it's a difficult it's a difficult subject, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to to penalize the success of Atlanta's economy by shutting the door completely to what is inevitably gentrification. I, I, I do think that the representative makes a great point in that this is not about folks well below the poverty line. This is about individuals, normal, regular individuals that who, you know, 60 Sixty percent of what they take in every year goes to rent. And when that 60 percent then hits 70 percent, there's just no justification of them living where they live. They have to move. You know, Um, Atlanta's number four in terms of the the most fastest gentrified city. Uh, This is going to be a topic that, that spills over to many other topics about income inequality. About you know what kind of society Atlanta is going to, to to be in in the coming years, um, you know. For in, in my community, you know, Hispanics are, are driving the boom to home ownership nationwide. I you know in, in Gwinnett County, you know, our, our population has jumped 120 uh, percent in the the last ten years. Um, this this has so much uh, like this effect. Uh, this topic. Affects so much of what our community is going through with the American Dream path to home ownership and how one lives. So, you know, we're we're going to see a lot of fireworks going forward.
2: Jim Galloway. Uh, yeah. If I could give my former employer a plug. Um, uh, the AJC has a a, a, a forum with uh, the five major mayoral candidates at five o'clock, uh, this afternoon. Uh, and I do anticipate that. Uh, that uh, it, it's an online thing. I think you can you can just kind of uh, you can you can watch from home. And and I do think uh, housing is going to be a top uh, top uh, a hot topic. Yeah, m- uh, quite a few of these mayoral candidates promising uh, the, uh, the kind of the creation of maybe twenty thousand uh, low rental units to keep uh, uh, low cost re- uh, units to to keep people in the city. And I I think what's being proposed is is you know it, it might have some effect around the edges but look if you're if you're really going to tackle this problem in a very serious way then you have to have a system of 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 subsidies to help people cope with rising rentals and and, and the high cost of real estate you have to have rent control uh, with, uh as new york city has and i'm not sure that in any of those uh, either of those will fly uh, in 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 this state, and especially, I mean, the the, the Atlanta's problem has always been uh, the fact that it's it, it's not bound by anything. There is no boundary that, that keeps Atlanta uh uh that, that keeps Atlanta's population in a in a particular place. And movement has kind of been always been the response to uh, to, to 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 shifts in uh, political and economic uh, uh, factors in real estate.
3: Edward? You know, I was talking to uh, uh, a local elected official in another part of the country uh, not too long ago on on various issues that his his area faces and versus our area faces. And he had an interesting observation. He said, because his area, quite frankly, was declining rather rapidly as the economy shifts uh, overseas, he said, we would love to have problems like traffic and gentrification in our area. Uh, these are signs of a, of a healthy society uh, as people want to move back into urban areas and, um, and, and also with, with, with traffic issues. That being said, you know, there, there need to be some things that need to be done in order to make sure that, that we have a, a good mix in our society. The, question, the, the, the problem is, of course, how do you try to stop uh, what is an effective market force uh, situation in terms of folks desiring to come back into the city? and live here, and and uh, developers meeting that, that demand. That's always going to be a difficult issue, and it's good that the mayors are talking about. The second point I want to raise, however, let's be real here. While affordable housing is the number two issue, it's number two at a distance. The number one yes. issue in the Atlanta race is crime. Uh, according to every poll, it's polls well over 50% in terms of people's number one issue. And that's going to be the ultimate decider in this mayoral election. Who's going to be best to take on
1: that issue? Um, Edward or Mary, Mar- Edward or Mary Margaret. One of you may know. It is is this notion of affordable housing uh, pretty much uh, a, an issue for Atlanta as opposed to other major cities in the state? Is Savannah dealing with this sort of? Problem is making, or or is it really an Atlanta issue? Um, Edward or Mary Margaret, one of you want to weigh in on that? Because I, I don't know.
0: I don't believe it is only an Atlanta issue. I mean, I look at it, of course, in terms of the other cities that I represent. I represent Shambly Brookhaven, <laughs> Decatur, and Atlanta. Decatur has had a very extensive discussion about low income housing. Decatur is an expensive place to live, but if you look at all the Northern Arc counties, and you're looking at workforce issues. Again, and you're looking at a mixture of an economy, I think it's an issue beyond the city of Atlanta.
1: Yeah,
3: it's basically an issue wherever uh, you have a, a community that's desirable, desirable for people to move into.
1: Right. All right, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way and come back with a lot more to talk about today on Political Rewind. <laughs> Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Um, Let me turn for a minute to the battles that are still underway in Washington. Um, You've got, and most of it right now, is infighting among Democrats, as um, most people are aware. Uh, And and the fight is over the fact that uh, Speaker Pelosi would like to get the House to pass the infrastructure bill, the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill, um, but the Progressive Caucus refuses to uh, support a vote on that until the Senate agrees to vote on uh, President Biden's, what right now is more than a $3 trillion social policy agenda. Um, Jim, here's what's interesting to me about what's happening on the House side. You know, we know that past Republican speakers of the House have, um, really struggled with the Freedom Caucus, the far-right uh, uh, members of the House, Republicans, who just shut down one piece of legislation after another. They were very outspoken, very vociferous. And in some ways, this Progressive Caucus in, on the Democratic side in the House uh, is presenting the same kind of headaches to Nancy Pelosi and the moderates who want to get something accomplished in the uh, Biden agenda.
2: Right, right, uh, and and uh, last week, before, late, late last week, you had the unusual situation where President Joe Biden went to the Capitol to see if he could broker some sort of compromise. He ultimately kind of sorta of, sided with the House progressives, which I find very interesting. Uh, although their top line number, I think, has 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 gone down significantly into to about I think two trillion dollars and, and and change. Uh it's uh Last week was interesting. It was uh, uh, Biden also delayed kind of moved the deadline uh, with Nancy Pelosi had set a September 30th deadline, uh, which had already been uh, broken. Uh, and the new deadline now is, I think, October 31st, uh, mm-hmm. which is, is significant, I think, because what it does is, is it moves that negotiation beyond the, uh, the, the fight over the debt ceiling. Which, which I think is going to be a a a knockdown drag out in the Senate. So maybe that will maybe that can that can uh, free up some of the uh, the 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 log jams on that on the, in that chamber. Mary Margaret and Ed Edward.
0: I think headaches are a part of politics. They're a part of both parties, and uh, obviously there, are headaches going on. Congress doesn't have a very good reputation again among the apolitical people at Publix who are offended by the. Gun on the hip, but they're not, otherwise they're not really thinking a lot positively or differently about Congress. This is a this is an ongoing conflict that they're used to. From the Democrat perspective, specifically President Biden, who statistically or historically will lose the majority of the House uh, next year, this is his one chance. This is his one chance to set forth uh, his agenda of social justice. And equity issues that have been ignored uh, is certainly during the Trump administration. I think that President Trump's little bit siding with the progressive is reflective of his reality of what his opportunities are as president. And the fact that the disparity of the haves and the have-nots is a disaster for us. Every part of our society suffers from the extreme disaster, the extreme hostility or conflict um, that we're seeing in our society?
3: Well, you know, to sort of build on what Mary Margaret said, you know, the reality for anyone in leadership with your power is the recognition that governing is hard. Uh, There is within each party a certain number, a certain minority number uh, within your – among your elected officials who would rather mm. go outside and, and rally uh, a crowd with torches and pitchforks rather than governing. Uh, a great book I would recommend to everyone across the political spectrum is uh, is former Speaker uh, John Boehner's book, who talks about the difficulties in trying to, <laughs> to, to get his – some of his more extreme members of his party to recognize that, hey, when we're in power, we have to actually govern. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is that, that despite some of the happy talk that, uh, that, that Democrats are now saying about the process, they're a long way off when it comes to this uh, $3.5 billion uh, social policy structure. Uh, first question, there's no agreement within their party on how much, no agreement in terms of what to cover, no agreement in terms of who to cover. What I mean by that is whether I means testing should be involved and no firm agreement in terms of how to pay for it. Other than those simple issues, uh, the party is unified. Uh, and, and so what I'm going to recommend to them at some point is declare victory past the $1.2 billion, the trillion dollar uh, package for which there is broad support, and and then start trying to work
1: out some of the other things. <laughs> Renee? Yeah, the drama,
4: right? This is unfolding uh... – better or worse than uh, Days of Our Lives narrative, right? I, 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 do, I do think that it's interesting in, in, in that I, I read Dan Rather's uh, reporting on this in Substack the other day, and he wrote that uh, he thinks it's less about uh, major divisions within the party, and more about having uh, such a narrow majority, and that because there are no, zero votes to spare, this is why we're having the drama that we're having. And and in reality, Dems, uh, both the voters and the polls, largely agree on the overall policy. And though whatever they come up with is going to be less ambitious than what most Dems would like, they will still achieve uh, more change than any ruling American government has in a generation. And so, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. But, uh, but uh, I do think that at the end of the day, the Democrats are going to be able to point to legislation, and they will then flip that as leverage in 2022 and
1: 2024. You know, in the meantime, Mary Margaret, I mean, we Georgia is a big player in all of this, obviously, because Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff were elected to the U.S. Senate and gave Democrats the majority there. But in the meantime, as a Democrat, I'm wondering what your thoughts are when you see that Essentially, the president's entire agenda, and in many ways, a a progressive policy for America, is being held up by two people, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin. To me, that's just no way to run a railroad.
0: I think it's being held up by Mitch McConnell is what I think. I mean, the history of
1: bipartisanship
0: is not existing today (laughs) based on Mitch McConnell, but back to the issue of when you declare victory there's so many opportunities to declare victory in this this uh ongoing negotiation which is painful to watch but which i have some confidence is going to result in the largest opportunity to have additional monies for women at work for daycare for tax reform that's meaningful to real real people so i'm although i think it's a it's not an, it's not pleasant to watch and it's causes a lot of us heartache. I'm more optimistic on this issue than I am on the other issues we've discussed in relation to guns and abortion.
3: Well, Jim, keep in mind uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, Mitch McConnell did vote for the $1.2 trillion uh, infrastructure package, as well as uh, uh, 19 other Republicans. So there is wide bipartisan support for that. Number two is that... This this fight right now regarding the larger package that Democrats are are, are fussing over or fighting over is is emblematic of kind of basically overplaying your hand. Democrats weren't elected in 2020 because of a of a sudden leftward lurch within our society. They were elected in large part uh, in reaction to Donald Trump, uh, and I still think that we are essentially a, a center right center center, maybe marginal center left, we, we still play within that narrow zone. And anytime time Democrats would try to go far one way uh, based on what happened in 2020 will get them in trouble. Similar to what happened, quite frankly, in 18, when Republicans thought that what happened in the 2016 election gave them too much of a mandate to go in certain conservative directions, and they suddenly found themselves out of the majority in Congress. So, you know, it's, it's always dangerous to overplay your hand.
2: You know, it's, this is, it's, it's, Democrats are kind of walking a tightrope here. Not kind of, they are walking a tightrope. And, and the part of the situation, COVID is part of this, this, this situation. Uh, it, it hasn't gone away like we thought it would uh, back in, say, maybe February or March. Uh, And that means the economy uh, job growth has kind of been has been has been limited. And this package that that uh, House Democrats are insisting on has been has been underlined as a as a as a solution to that problem, to rebuild the the employment infrastructure that has kept uh, so many uh, women in particular out of the job market. And I'm wondering how long if, if you if you delay this fight so long, maybe even into next year, whether you lose that impact and you lose that juice and you lose that argument uh, in the upcoming uh, elections.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch how that plays out. All right. we're, We're almost out of time. But before we finish, Jim Galloway, we have not yet been able to celebrate you. You have just been named to the Atlanta Press Club Hall of Fame. You're going to be honored in a couple of weeks at a press club event. It is an absolutely, it's one of the best deserved honors we could possibly see someone receive for the work you've done. I said... In response to reading about this, we all stand on your shoulders, Galloway. Those of us who are political journalists. So congratulations for here, uh,
2: here, I didn't watch the lead. Congratulations. At <laughs> at <laughs> <end>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I stand on the shoulders of a huge number of other people.
1: We are out of time. Jim Galloway, Mary Margaret Mar- Oliver, Edward Lindsay, Renee Alegria, thank you for being with us today for Political Rewind. We're out of time for today's show. I'll be back again tomorrow with another Political Rewind. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, wear your mask, get a flu shot and a vaccine for COVID. Bye-bye.